Well, in this short video, I'm going to respond to a question. We get many questions, and most we do not have the opportunity to respond to, but this one I thought was of special importance. And instead of doing so uh, in a written fashion, I thought it would be good to make a brief video. So first, I'd like to read the question to you. It says, concerning God's mercy, how is it that his mercy is displayed in the midst of affliction and also judgment? Also, is it possible to come to a point where God's mercy and grace is withdrawn due to habitual and continuous sin, causing judgment to come without any remedy. Now, great question, and there's several parts to it, but in order to answer it, we need to have some clarification. Now, I did not ask for clarification for a reason. I want to look at this, this issue from a couple different vantage points. See, first and foremost, we have to ask ourselves, are we talking about a believer or a non-believer? Now, this question came also with some requests, and that is, can we have some biblical verses to help us understand and for the support of what you're saying? And I'd like to begin with one verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Of course, a very foundational chapter in regard to salvation. And this is what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love in which he has loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Messiah. Very important, with Messiah. If we're not with Messiah, we can't be given life. And here the context for life is salvation. So made alive together with Messiah, for by grace you have been saved. So if we're talking about someone who has been saved, let me say it another way, someone who has been born again, then that person is never going to be in a situation where God's grace and his mercy is removed from that person. I want to give another scripture because this is going to be helpful in understanding why I say what I say. The scripture is another well-known verse, Romans chapter 12. Let's look at the first two verses, Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2, where it says, and Paul is speaking, of course, and he says, I beseech you a strong request, one with urgency and significance. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now notice, who's he speaking to? Believers. And he says, by the mercies of God, that you do something that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What type of living sacrifice? One that is holy and well-pleasing to God. This is the proper, the expected service for every believer. And therefore, he goes on and says, and do not be conformed to this world, 
but rather be ye transformed by literally by the renewed mind that you may document that you might prove what is good and well-pleasing and the perfect will of god now notice here it talks about mercy and that mercy is going to work in a true believer's life too cause them to live sacrificially in regard to the purposes of God and want to live in a way that demonstrates that they have the mind of Messiah. Doesn't say the renewing of your mind, but by the renewed mind, and I believe that's the mind of Messiah, that we can do something, that we can document what is good, that is, what is the will of God, and what is acceptable, pleasing, what is proper according to that will of god so a real believer god's mercy is going to work in their life to produce obedience now another verse of scripture let's take one from the old testament from second chronicles chapter 30 and verse 9 towards the end it says for the lord your god is gracious and merciful and he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Now, let me review a few things before we move into this next part. If you are a believer, God will never remove his mercy and grace from you, if you're a believer. And true believers are going to live and be motivated by the mercy of God that demonstrates the perfect will of God. Does that mean we don't struggle with sin? Of course, all people struggle with sin. But we should be growing and maturing and having victory over sin. Can a true believer fall into a time of being in a state of what's commonly referred to as being backslidden? Yes. But God is sovereign. And God is able in order to cause you to to turn away from that he can turn up the the pressure that is brought about by rebelliousness to him so that you turn away from sin and once again be renewed in your relationship with him that's not being saved again it's just seeing that relationship that has gone through some difficult times being healed and renewed god will bring it about Now, remember what the scripture or the question was asked. It says, concerning God's mercy, how is it displayed in affliction? Well, again, we have to ask, what did the people mean by affliction? Affliction, how I understood it, how I want to respond to it, is when I'm being afflicted by the enemy. Let me say it another way. When I'm being persecuted, God's mercy is going to to see me through that. God is going to be compassionate and merciful to give me what I need to overcome this affliction, this persecution. Now, if we're talking about judgment, because in regard to this question, it says, how is God's mercy displayed in affliction? Well, I responded to that. And also in judgment. Now, Are we speaking about judgment in the sense of disciplining believers? And this goes back to what I made mention of earlier. If I'm a believer 
and I'm in sin and rebelliousness, God's going to discipline me. We can call that judgment. God's going to place his punishment upon me to bring about repentance, to cause me to turn back to him in faith and obedience. He's faithful. That is mercy for him to judge me and discipline me. As the scripture says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So the first part of this question is this. For a believer, God's not going to take away his mercy and grace. In the times of affliction and persecution, he is going to give us mercy in order to endure, to persevere, and to overcome. If we're a believer and we're in rebelliousness, it's not going to last a long time. He is going to be merciful and he is going to discipline us and produce in us a change. God's sovereign. He can make things very uncomfortable and he's able to break his children in order that they return to him. Now, let's deal with another important part because this same question said, Does there come a point where God's mercy and grace is withdrawn due to habitual and continual sin causing judgment, not uh, persecution, but judgment to come without any remedy? Now, for a believer, no. For a non-believer, there are scriptures that speak to that, and I'd like to address those. First of all, I call your attention to Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. Now, these are individuals who knew the truth. They knew that God is. Read the context. For example, that same chapter, verse 19. They knew that there was a God. They knew the expectations of God, but they rejected them. They refused to submit to what they knew about God. And because of that, it says, and they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want to act in light of their knowledge. And therefore, because of that, God gave them over to a debased mind, a depraved mind to do the things, meaning God allowed them to just do the things which were not fitting, not proper. Those things that could be an abomination. God turned them over for that. Now, they can reach a time, and we'll come to this in a moment, they can reach a time where being in sin becomes comfortable. They choose that, and they don't want to repent. They don't agree with repentance. They reject the standards of God. And what happens then? Well, let me give you another scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, which speaks of the same type of individual. And it says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Hear that carefully. They're speaking lies, and they know their lies. That's why it says in hypocrisy. They know what's right, but they don't do it. They present a falsehood, a falseness about them. So we see in the scripture, speaking lies in hypocrisy. And what happens? Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, 
conscience is what everyone has even non-believers they're born with a conscience again you can go back to romans 1 and see that and they reject over and over what the conscience is saying the conscience it is in hebrew the word matzpun which is derived from the same word matzpen which is the compass it's a moral compass they know the right thing now do they know everything no the conscience is limited it's much better to have scriptural truth and to have the holy spirit leading and guiding you with the word of god than just your conscience but the conscience to a degree is able to discern a portion of of god's revelation he puts it in them to know it's wrong to steal it's not good to lie it's not proper to do these things and they're inwardly convicted by the conscience when you say no over and over and over to the conscience you can indeed fall into the category it's a theological term the word reprobate that word in some translations appear in the bible we'll talk about what it is in a moment but one can be in the state a non-believer can be in a state due to habitual and continual sin a believer is never going to be in habitual and continuous sin but a non-believer may and it will affect their conscience sear their conscience where they are in a state where they're heading for judgment and nothing's going to change that they have rejected god that conscience speaking to them they've rejected it over and over and he turns them over let me give you another scripture second timothy chapter 3 and verse 8 now it talks about some some people that were rebellious in the days of moses and they did what it says that they resisted the truth meaning they rejected it they knew it and some would say they were convicted that it's right they knew it was truth but they rejected it and because they knew it was right and they rejected it they became people of a reprobate mind a depraved mind now that word is a very interesting one we'll talk about it perhaps later but it says at the end of that verse verse 8 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 8 that they became disapproved and that disapproved is another some translation uses word reprobate now what does that mean well the word here is the word where we get the english term document and it has a negative they don't document what they should they are refusing their nature is always to go against documenting the faith so notice it says disapproved concerning the faith they refuse to document to prove that the truth of scripture is right and therefore they can become reprobate one more verse and we'll be done titus chapter 1 and verse 16 titus chapter 1 verse 16 notice they profess to know god but in works they deny him and what are they they become an abomination they are disobedient and once again disqualified there's that same word disqualified they refuse to document what is right they know it's right they understand it but they refuse they reject it and when one does that repeatedly 
it affects their conscience. And because they're a non-believer, they move further and further away from God and reprobate means they become in a position where they're not going to, to be saved. Not because God's unwilling, God's unable, it's because they have rejected his revelation so much that they become, that, that grace becomes a, it cannot penetrate the hardness of their hearts. And the hardness of their hearts came about for, for refusing the truth that God convicted them of. So I hope that goes a little way in, in answering that question. I want to clarify a believer will never be in continuous and habitual sin. Now, can we struggle with sin? We do. Can we struggle with a particular sin for considerable amount of time? Yes, but here's the key. We struggle in it. We're not at peace in it. We don't affirm, oh, it's okay, that it's all right. No, we're grieved about it, and we're praying, God, help me with that. And it, it, it impacts us in a very, very negative way. And we want to turn away, but we struggle. That is a sign of one's faith. And let me tell you that God does give freedom. He does give what? Victory over such a, a sin that people struggle with, whatever it might be. And it'll be different things for different people. But we can know victory. Some, and I've had testimonies that people have struggled for years with a particular issue. And then God gives victory. And, and he's gracious to do so. But for a non-believer, when you know the truth and you reject it, you're not interested in the things of God, and you reject that conscience over and over, you can become reprobate where one can find themselves, where God just sets them aside. There's no more uh, uh, pricking their conscience, no more moving of the Spirit with them. They are left to themselves, they're reprobate, and there's no solution other than a judgment of God that brings about their eternal condemnation. Well, I'll close with that. I hope that helped somewhat in answering and responding to that very important question. Shalom.